are never going to understand how critical this particular time in history is. We have $7.7 trillion worth of economic events that are going to hit America in the gut. This is An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun, President and CEO of Private Wealth Consultants, the free market voice, free market voice. of the U.S., enhancing and protecting private wealth. Gary Rathbun has over 30 years of experience in making the best choices for you to keep more of what you earn. It's life, liberty, and the pursuit of self-reliance. An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. This is Greetings and welcome again to an Economy of One. I am your host, Gary Ruffin. Happy, happy tax day. Yes, your taxes have to be filed by tomorrow, the 18th. Usually the 15th, but apparently the 15th was a, a federal holiday, so they let you go to Monday the 18th, so you get a couple more days on there. Now, I generally get uh, several months more because I file an extension. Many people feel that an extension is a bad thing. It is not. It costs you nothing to file an extension. And it does not, contrary to popular opinion, it does not increase your chances of getting audited. In fact, statistically, it's just the opposite. If you file an extension, your odds of getting audited go down a little bit. Now, you do have to pay your tax by the tax date this year, the 18th, but you don't have to file the return until October. And I've filed a, an extension every year for, gosh, I don't know, 20 years probably, partly because my tax is fairly complex and it takes a while to get all the documentation around and K-1s and all that kind of stuff. But uh, also partly I just like procrastinating on taxes, so I don't like to, to mess with it. But causes me always to stop and think this time of year about the IRS and taxes. We are in the the depths of a presidential election, and everybody's talking about stuff, and the stuff is going to cost us a lot of taxes. Now, Hillary came out in this last week talking about investment. That's always a, another uh, synonym for taxing the crap out of you. But she's talking about infrastructure investment. And uh, it's going to require a trillion-dollar tax hike. Now, she says it'll cost a trillion dollars over the next 10 years. Now, that's all horse hockey. You and I both know that. 10 years is, is just a way of trying to make the number palatable. The 10-year number never, never holds up. You got that? Never holds up. So she wants to have a minimum 30% federal income tax on incomes over a million bucks. She wants to tax capital gains, even long-term capital gains. She wants to redefine what capital gains are. She wants to have debt-free tuition. And it's only going to cost, according to her estimate, $100 billion dollars a year and quote i think it's affordable and i think it's a smart way to make investments to go back to our economic discussion that will contribute to growing the economy she can't grow the economy if it was seeds in the ground i mean none of these politicians can grow the government can't grow the economy 
they can get out of the way and stop stifling the economy, but they can't grow the economy. They they can't and the infrastructure. Yeah, you know they 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 need to take care of some things and they'll spend money on it, but it does not grow the economy. So. The only good thing about Hillary's trillion-dollar tax hike is Bernie's is a lot worse. So Bernie Sanders is much, much higher. He wants to go up to, I don't know, I forget now, 70%, 80% tax rates on the top incomes, free tuition, free health care, free everything. I'm getting tired of the overused phraseology that everything is a right People have a right to a certain level of income. They have a right to free education. They have a right to cheap housing and food. They, they, they have all these rights. Well, these people couldn't define a right if the dictionary was open to R already for them. It, it's just disgusting. And the IRS, you know, news came out this week. They didn't secure your information again. People are hacking into our confidential information. Now, they've had years to work on this, years. And uh, Congress is already talking about impeaching the head of the IRS. Again, won't happen. Won't happen. Trust me on that. Won't happen. I've seen his testimony about... Uh, Lois Lerner emails, and he was just a smug, arrogant son of a gun and uh, knew that Congress was going to do nothing, knew that he had just had to sit there and dance around questions for a while. But they do nothing or very little to protect our information. If you or I were that lax about other people's information, we'd be in jail. I mean, it's just unbelievable how screwed up, I guess, the IRA, because there's nobody accountable. It doesn't matter if taxpayer information is compromised because nobody will get fired. Everybody points to everybody else. We don't have enough money. We don't have the right software. We don't have the right security measures in place. But so what? I'm not motivated to do it because there's no consequences for not doing it. And, uh, I mean, they're putting information out there and not even trying to redact and protect the information. Uh, There's a law out there that says if a taxpayer submits an offer in compromise, meaning they owe back taxes and they want to cut a deal with the IRS, well, that those deals are public information. But the law says that the IRS is supposed to sterilize that information so that no identity thief can steal your identity out there. But they don't. They don't. It's just not a big deal to them. Once again, it's not their information. What do they care? The interesting aspect to that was the uh, testimony with the IRS commissioner. His name is John Koshkinen, K-O-S-K-I-N-E-N. And he didn't impress Congress at all. He pretty much told him that his agency encourages illegal aliens to commit tax fraud by submitting tax forms under fraudulent Social Security numbers. He told 
the committee that the agency does not take action when tax returns are submitted using fraudulent personal information. It's not the normal identity theft situation, he said, adding that it helps the government to collect more revenue. The agency's main goal is to maximize revenue, not to enforce the law. Now, I've made jokes about that in the past as far as, you know, prostitution, drug dealing, that kind of stuff. As long as you declare that income, pay tax on it, the IRS doesn't really care how you got it. This reinforces that. They don't care if people are filing tax returns under fraud as long as it doesn't affect too negatively on the revenues. Now, we know the IRS pays out billions of dollars in false tax returns. So people are stealing your identity, my identity, filing tax returns, getting refunds, and the IRS doesn't care. They don't care. It's not their job to enforce the law. And they're arrogant about it. So he says the tax code is set up and our obligation, everybody who is earning money has an obligation to pay taxes. We do everything we can to make sure they pay those taxes to the extent that to get the unemployment they've borrowed or somehow gotten a social security number, borrowed a social security number, did you catch that? Or somehow gotten a social security, that's not a jurisdiction we have. Now, that's our government. That's part of what makes us feel powerless. And for some reason, people that have a high profile, like Hollywood actors and that kind, you see, I think it was George Lopez came out and said he endorses Bernie Sanders for president. But he also admitted that he just can't pay any more in taxes. It's ridiculous. So he says he interviewed or endorsed Bernie Sanders, but really just to just because it's cool. Cool. I can't pay any more taxes. It's ridiculous. But we'll figure it out later. I really did it just to get awareness and have people vote. So he's voting for Bernie because it's cool. But he doesn't want to pay any more taxes. But he didn't care if you or I pay any more taxes. Absolutely incredible. Coming up, you know, I'm almost tired of talking about North Carolina, but I'm going to spend just a few more minutes on it and uh, transgender bathrooms. I'm just, I'm getting tired of it. An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. You know, I, I, I've said it a couple of times now, but I, I think I almost truly mean it this time. This is all it for me. This is the last I'm going to talk about North Carolina and HB2. HB2, also known as the bathroom bill. And every day you're getting people coming out, jumping up and down, spitting nails, saying how this is discriminatory against gays and... Obviously, they haven't read the bill at all because that's not the case. They don't understand it. If they did, they might uh, stop hyperventilating about this and calling everybody they disagree with uh, 
a homophobe or a bigot. But, you know, I mean, we all heard about Bruce Springsteen, the, the boss. He was scheduled to play a concert in North Carolina. He canceled the concert, citing opposition to the recently passed bathroom bill, which he labeled discriminatory against the transgender community. I mean, I, 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 I just almost don't know what to say about this anymore. It's beyond dumb. The boycotting, think about this. If the people who support this, he's trying to offend, aren't going to go to his concert, and the people that support him and agree with him are paying hundreds of dollars for concert tickets and not seeing him. So they came out and said, well, the tickets will be good when the concert is rescheduled. Well, that makes you feel good. That makes you feel good. Might be able to get your money back. Might not be able to. But Brian Adams came out and boycotted North Carolina. Other people, uh, like Cindy Lauper and the Eagles, I think, said they disagree with the law, but the concert's going to go on for them anyway. Okay, so apparently money means something to them. But Michael Moore, Michael Moore came out and boycotted North Carolina. He calls them anti-gay bigots. And he, he's asked his distributor of his latest film called Where to Invade Next to withhold the film from theaters in North Carolina due to the state's bigoted law against LGBTQ people. Wow. LGBTQ. Uh, Wow. I mean, but uh, the point is, who cares? Who cares? Boycotts don't work. Rob Reiner's came out and said he's no longer going to shoot projects in the state. Now, I don't know if he ever has. Maybe he has. Maybe he hasn't. Disney had a big deal in Georgia when Georgia passed a similar bill, and the governor there, Nathan Deal, decided to change his mind and bow to the pressure of these outside corporations. Now, you know what? I I, I like movies. I uh, like Star Wars movies. Well, the last movie, The Force Awakens by uh, Disney, was filmed in uh, uh, the United Arab Emirates. Now, this is a nation that actually murders people for engaging in homosexual behavior. Didn't stop them from filming over there. All North Carolina wants to do is make sure people use the bathroom that complies with the gender they were born with. Now, how how long is it going to take? How long is it going to take for some little girl or some woman gets assaulted by some pervert that wants to use a lady's room that for the moment, when his bladder's full, decides to identify as a woman? How long is it going to take, and who's going to be liable? Who's going to be liable for that? Is the state going to be liable? Are they going to police all of this? Okay. It's just beyond stupid to me. Boycotts don't work. We've seen that, especially internal boycotts like this. You want to boycott North Carolina? Go ahead. The governor there is showing some backbone. He's not backing down. He's not bowing to the pressure. Good for him. Good for him. It's not going to make any difference. This is going to blow over. People will uh, get their 15 minutes of fame. 
like these different musicians and movie producers and and corporations. What is it? Uh, PayPal decided not to to open a new plan in North Carolina or something. Okay, big deal. So what? That'll blow over, and everything will will go back to the way it was. Um, and it should, by the way, should. But how much time, money, and energy are we spending on a misinterpretation of the legislation passed in North Carolina? I mean, I'm sure, I don't know Bruce Springsteen. I don't know if he has a family or not. Would he want his daughter going into a bathroom that some guy decides to identify as a woman, follows her in? Would he want that for his daughter? It's less of a threat to men, okay, women coming into a men's room. Um, you know, I'm not going to comment on that, but it's less threatening than it is for a man going into a, a lady's room. If I was governor of North Carolina, I would pass the hold your bladder till you get home law, and I would close all government public restrooms. Heck with them. Let them... Let them soil themselves. I don't care. I mean, this is just stupid. Just stupid. And these people that want to boycott the state, not going to make any difference. And I applaud the the governor there for standing up and not, not bending the pressure. Now, if he does in the future, we'll talk about it. But uh, so far, he's holding firm. And that's the law. That's what the people want in North Carolina. Makes sense. Okay. Makes common sense. And uh, that's the way it should be. I don't even see why we need to have a law and have that discussion. People should use their own restrooms. Anyway. Ah, get me fired up. Coming up next, Sam Kasman from the Competitive Enterprise Institute. We're going to talk to him about the subpoena that they were served uh, on uh, emails regarding climate change from 20 years ago. Sam Kasman, he's next. Gary Rathbun, an economy of one. An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. Joining me now is Sam Kasman. He's general counsel for the Competitive Enterprise Institute. He's written op-eds and articles that appeared in the Wall Street Journal, USA Today, Washington Post, as well as the National Review. He's also appeared on national shows, including the Today Show, Stossel, and the Washington Journal. Counselor, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me on. I appreciate you spending a little time with us. I was pleased that... My producer got a hold of you. Tell us a little bit. I've been reading a little. I'm certainly not a a legal scholar by any means. But tell us a little bit about the subpoena that was issued for records from uh, CEI. 
Okay, this uh, was hand-delivered to us uh, last Thursday. Uh, it comes about two weeks after there was a uh, Ballyhood press conference among about seven state attorneys general in up in New York, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, they were announcing the formation of what they call uh, Attorneys General United for Clean Power, and uh, their guest uh, celebrity spokesman on stage was Al Gore. So. Uh. Just from that alone, you know this is a very serious, well-founded, uh, purely legal <laughs> campaign with no relation to policy, right? That's right. Uh, and uh, it looks like uh, those attorneys general have divvied up um, uh, the country into sections, and the they may each be pursuing their own investigations. But the essential claim, which is focused on ExxonMobil, but extends to anyone who they think may have been uh, working in some manner with them, uh, though I think it really goes beyond that, is that uh, there's been deception going on in terms of not informing the public about the real, quote-unquote, risks of climate change. Um, The documents... uh, the subpoena addressed to us seeks just about uh, everything we've done on that issue uh, for a 10-year span uh, that ended in 2007. And even though most of the items seem to be related to ExxonMobil, it really covers everything we've done uh, on these issues, because it talks about any studies you may have done on how ExxonMobil products affect the climate. Well, since gasoline, if, if it has an effect on the climate, has that effect regardless of whether it's mobile, Sunoco, or whatever. Mm -hmm. You know, they're asking for everything. Plus, they want uh, all donor information uh, from supporters who may have been contributing, been supporting our climate uh, and energy policy work directly or indirectly. uh, And that really means anyone who gave anything to CEI, because that has been one of our issues. So... We plan to oppose this on First Amendment grounds. We think this is an absolute outrage. It's attempting to stifle speech on a hotly debated issue. Uh, And the fact that it's hotly debated is just you take a look at uh, the very substantial number of scientists and uh, policy analysts who differ with the claims that we face some catastrophe. And secondly, by going after our donors, uh, that's a very clear First Amendment violation as well because uh, there's a significant line of Supreme Court cases, starting with NAACP back in the 50s when that organization uh, had its donor list demanded by several states in the South. And it was clear, you know, once uh, the the, the, uh, contact info for for the NAACP's donors became public, that would be the end of that organization uh, because the end result is intimidation. Uh, And so that also is a First Amendment issue in our view. So Uh, At this point, our plan is to vigorously uh, fight this monstrosity. One of the first thoughts that occurred to me as I was reading this is this is really no different than so many of the college campuses around trying to stifle free speech and having their little safe zones and something warm and fuzzy to hang on to. But this is our leaders. I mean, this is the attorneys general. They got a lot of strength behind them in doing this as far as intimidation goes and, and free speech. What do they think they have any say in in climate change from the attorney general standpoint? Um, 
look, I, you know, if you were to ask them, they would publicly say, we are simply concerned with investigating the possibility of fraud. Uh, and I believe that is nonsense. I've got, I think they have the same agenda uh, that Al Gore has, which is to shut down debate uh, on this issue. And the, the fact is, there's debate raging on this. You know, for example, for everything we've heard about the threats of storms, hurricanes, rising seas, just a few weeks ago, Warren Buffett, uh, who is heavily involved in the reinsurance business, frankly stated in the last 15 years, we've seen no increase in the cost or frequency of severe weather events. And if that businessman doesn't see it, uh, these guys have got to be staring at smoke coming from somewhere to claim that they do see it. <laughs> now, I, I, the uh, uh, several things I read on, on CEI's website, it, it says that the subpoena came from Attorney General Claude Walker, of the U.S. Virgin Islands. Is there any significance that the the Virgin Islands attorney general was the one issued this, or is it just happened to be his name on top? Oh, no. Uh, this did come from him. Uh, he was one of the attorneys general uh, present at this press conference. And, you know, I don't know if that press conference, I think it was in New York, was probably right. Manhattan. Well, Manhattan also is an island. What are you going to say about that? <laughs> but, but look, look the Virgin that. Islands are claiming that because they're an island, they are peculiarly, peculiarly sensitive to the ravages of allegedly rising oceans and uh, more uh, <clears throat> intensive storms. Oh, okay. uh, but, look, think about how this attorney general, General from the islands, from the Virgin Islands, gets around to other parts of the U.S. Uh, if he does not swim or row a boat or take a sailboat, he is using transportation means that are fueled by petroleum products. Right. And so I think this illustrates uh, very succinctly just the hypocrisy involved in all this. You've got these people, be they attorneys general or politicians or celebrities, jet-setting around the country, around the world, stepping off airplanes, uh, taking limousines to podiums where they then proceed to denounce uh, fossil fuels. Uh, and the, the, the hypocrisies are there is just incredible. It's as if, uh, you know, it's one thing for the aristocracy to have access to petroleum, but for uh, the uh, uh, commoners, common people to do it, that yeah. puts it into a sin category. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because it seems like I remember in recent history the EPA declared CO2 as a pollutant. And you and I are expelling that right now. I mean, we're, we're, we're polluting all the time. And it won't be long before the regulation goes to exhaling, I think. Yeah, look, I think in a sense you've got the environmental equivalent of original sin because the very first thing to come out of a newborn baby's mouth is, is a carbon dioxide. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think what's really at stake here is this attempt to demonize energy uh, because the only real energy, the only practical energy, the only affordable energy we get comes almost entirely from fossil fuels. Once you demonize energy, I think you've got civilization by the throat. It's going to be, a, it would represent, it would open the door to huge increases on, on, on these fuels, huge tax increases on these fuels in the name of the saving the planet. But all that really does is in turn fuel uh, political grandstanding. And maybe we can afford it. I don't think we can.
understand. Right. But when it comes to the real victims here are people in developing countries, in countries like Africa, who currently, use, a lot of them you know, live in huts and they have these indoor, incredibly smoky, dirty, uh, emitting right. fires that they use to cook and to heat. What they need more than anything else is access to affordable energy. Mm-hmm. They're the ones who are going to die as a result of this, but these folks won't see it because it's hard to see that when you're high up in a jet plane. Right. right. My guest is Sam Kasman. He's a general counsel at the Competitive Enterprise Institute, a nonprofit think tank under attack for their views on climate change policy. Uh, Sam, what I, I read in a bunch of articles in, in preparing for you, and forgive me, I forget, was it, was it a, a representative, a congressman, a senator, or was it one of these attorneys general that uh, brought out the idea of a RICO investigation? Oh, uh, I think it was uh, Senator Whitehouse. Uh, Whitehouse, that. that was it. Ooh. Right, yeah, and this started to go strong uh, sometime back during the summer. Uh, there have been calls. Uh, Attorney General uh, Loretta Lynch is claiming she's discussed this with the FBI. Um, and look, if there's any fraud going on here, it's among the proponents of the allegedly uh, uh, clean uh, sources of, of energy, like solar power, which is mm-hmm. heavily, incredibly heavily subsidized. You never hear from these folks when they pitch solar power anything about Solyndra, Sun Energy, and any of the other dozens of uh, uh, taxpayer-supported solar firms that go bankrupt. You know, in my view, that's the real uh, uh, fraud. But, you know, think, go back to this name of this new coalition, Attorney, Attorneys General United uh, for Clean Power. It should really be called AGs United for More Power, because that <laughs> is all it is. That's I got to write that down. I'm going to use that. <laughs> you know, the, the Competitive Enterprise Institute, I mean, you're, in my experience in reading through all your stuff and, and the website and stuff, you're pretty nonpartisan. I mean, you want to put the facts out there and you, you are being attacked that, you know, what these attorneys general are doing to you is what you've done to politicians and the governments and that kind of stuff. But a yeah, big difference between this subpoena and using a FOIA to to look at our government, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Look, FOIA was enacted by Congress in order to uh, let citizens, private citizens, advance government transparency. And lots of states have their own versions of FOIA as well, because that is a very popular purpose. Yes, we have filed FOIAs against government officials. Yes, we filed FOIAs against uh, FOIA requests asking for documents uh, with uh, certain professors uh, in academia, with certain scientists. But those are all government employees. They work at state-run or state-funded institutions. And if if they're not private, if they're not government employees, they're not covered by FOIA. Uh, yeah, that's totally different than uh, to have AGs come slamming down with subpoenas that demand a decade's worth of work while they make allegations about, you know, some conspiracy of uh, criminal wrongdoing. Yeah, it's just amazing the way they're using their power. But we're seeing that. I mean, I mean my background's in the financial industry, and... Dodd-Frank, which kind of flies under the radar because of the Affordable Care Act, same kind of thing. I mean, it's intimidation. It's it's uh, looking under everything, seeing shadows everywhere, and you're guilty until uh, you can convince them or pay them enough that you're innocent. Yeah, we're actually involved in a court challenge uh, on the constitutionality of one huge aspect of Dodd-Frank, the Consumer Finance Protection Bureau. Right. The the lead plaintiff in that case is a tiny, tiny bank, all of $300 million worth of assets in Big Spring, Texas. And the day after our lawsuit was announced, 
they had a visit from their bank examiner, wanted to know just how are they going to be paying for this lawsuit. Uh, well, the answer was they, they were not going to be paying it because uh, uh, we're providing legal services pro bono. But the notion that you know some government official wants to know where are you getting the money to, to raise this challenge uh, to my employer, that's a sort of frightening uh, thing. Yeah. Most recently, you've had Elizabeth Warren uh, uh, saying that companies that publicly criticize some rule that was proposed by the Securities and Exchange Commission may be open, may be vulnerable to some investigation of whether they're defrauding their shareholders, right. solely because they filed a critical comments in a public rulemaking. So this notion of just trying to shut up anyone who comes under this expanding umbrella of overregulation, I mean, that's becoming a damn powerful and very, very dangerous idea. You know, and that's the kind of the definition of, of tyranny. I mean, several articles reference 1984 and, and crime think and, and that kind of stuff, and I can see that playing out. Well, Sam, it's, it's been a real honor and a real pleasure to talk to you. Appreciate all your time. You're doing great work over to the Competitive Enterprise Institute. And uh, I'm going to stay on top of this, and I hope we can give you a call again and get some updates. Sure. And, you know, if I could just leave you with one very sure. lovely quote from uh, this was from the official government censor back when the Sandinistas uh, ruled Nicaragua and they were shutting down one opposition paper after another. And the censor explained his role as following. The newspapers falsely accused us of suppressing freedom of expression. This was a lie and we could not let them print it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's, 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 I'll, I'll leave you with one of my favorite quotes that uh, – even Mao Zedong believed in freedom of speech, just not freedom after the speech. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Sam, thank you so much for your time, and, and uh, I hope we can talk again soon. Take care. Bye. Coming up next, my home state, Ohio State University, showed some backbone this week. It's encouraging. We'll talk about that next. An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. You know, it made me proud to be a, uh, a resident of Ohio this week. Uh, Ohio State University. I'm sorry, the Ohio State University had a student sit-in this week where uh, they uh, went to the second floor of the senior administrator and tried to occupy the space in front of the uh, president's office, President Michael V. Drake. And it was interesting because I, I forget how long they were there, several hours. They had an open mic. And people were, you know, getting up and talking. Faculty was talking and that kind of stuff. But they complained that the university officials just don't listen to them and have silenced them. Now, officials say they've talked many times with the leaders of these groups and that the protesters just don't like the answers. Well, that's classic. They don't want a dialogue. They want what they want. And it doesn't matter what's reasonable. It doesn't matter what is proper, anything like that. University officials say the occupation began about 80 people around 3.30 in the afternoon. Organizers said they had 150. I tend to believe the 80 
because students just lose interest and get bored real quick if uh, they're not getting fed or have something to drink or something. Anyway, here's their list of demands, the students' list of demands. We demand complete, comprehensive, and detailed access to the Ohio State budget and investments immediately, as well as personnel to aid students in understanding this information. (laughs) These are Ohio State College students. And they don't understand financial statements? That, 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 that's probably true. Probably true. They uh, demand that Ohio State University divest from Caterpillar, Hewlett-Packard, and G4S due to their involvement in well-documented human rights abuses in the occupied Palestinian territories and across the globe. Third, Real Food OSU. Sign the Real Food Campus Commitment to ensure the administration work with Real Food OSU through the entire implementation of the Real Food Campus Commitment. Now, I don't know what that is. I didn't look it up, see what real food was, um, but I can imagine. Uh, In place of or as a means of attaining the university's sustainability goal of increased production and purchase of locally and sustainably sourced food to 40% by 2025. Okay, very noble, don't you think? Here's the the kids, they want complete, comprehensive, and detailed budget and investment statements. And by the way, uh, we want you to provide somebody that tells us what these statements say because we're too stupid to read them and interpret them. Absolutely incredible. Now, that being said... Ohio State Vice President Jay Casey paid the protesters a visit shortly after the occupation began with a message from the president. Dr. Drake will never receive a list of demands, and he will not negotiate with you. Casey calmly informed the group before moving on to the next part of his conversation, which included the university's own list of demands. You ready? Here's their university's list of demand. Disperse, or you will be arrested and immediately expelled from Ohio State University. Now, once those demands were uh, listed out for the students, they left. Sit-in was over. So... Maybe they did learn something. Maybe they did learn that actions have consequences and stupidity is still stupid. Can you imagine going home to your parents who are paying big bucks, big bucks to go to the Ohio State University and tell mom and dad, well, you know, I I wanted to look at their financial statements, even though I don't understand them. I wanted them to divest their investments from occupied Palestinian territories, and I want them to, to use sustainable sourced food, and they wouldn't do it, and I got expelled. So uh, that's a good dinner table conversation to have with your parents, especially in year three or four. The only thing that would make it better is if no other university would accept them. Then they could go out and protest for minimum wage because they're going to need it. Absolutely incredible, but good for the uh, Ohio State University. Good for you. 
appreciate it. Makes me want to send you some more money. I want you to have a great day. Be an individual. Be self-reliant. Be an economy of one. I'm Gary Rathman. We'll see you next time. This is our country. The views expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect the views of this station. Listeners should consult their own financial advisors or conduct their own due diligence before making any financial decisions. Private Wealth Consultants is an SEC-registered investment advisor. 